Hello everybody, it is the time of year to begin registering for one or two of my slow groups that begin in July. My slow groups are these special groups where I focus on one topic and we deeply unpack it over the course of six months. So these are highly nuanced, deep dive, advanced groups. These are excellent for those of you who have taken my six week course or who just want to focus on one particular topic through a somatic and trauma-informed lens. The two that are opening up in July, or will begin in July, are my embodied parenting group and my embodied nutrition group. The embodied parenting group is just like it sounds, learning how to parent from your body, learning how to ground yourself in your parenting so you're not parenting from a reactive triggered place, but from a much more conscious place so you can actually find joy in your parenting instead of it being a total hellscape, like some of you have told me it is, and I've experienced it myself. The other group is an embodied nutrition group. This has been requested for years. For the past four years after students complete my course, they say, can you please do a course on nutrition and make it longer than six weeks? So finally, I can say, yes, you can, and I can, and I did. It is a six-month unpacking of the intersection between trauma nutrition, and somatics. How do we recover from stress and trauma via food? How do we relate to food as a being and not just some object on the plate? What's the biochemistry of food? Why is it not the best for my blood sugar to have toast, but lentils are just fine if they're both carbohydrates? All of this and more will be unpacked in this six-month group. To register for these groups, please go to my website, holisticlifenavigation.com, and click Groups or you can click the link in the episode details below. Registration closes on June 1st. It is only open through May because we need the month of June to prepare everybody for July. I'm looking forward to this deep dive with you all. I'll see you there. On today's episode, I speak with Fritzi Horstman about creating compassionate prisons. There's the opposite of judgment is curiosity. The opposite of judgment, forgiveness. Judgment is, we can only see the world the way we see ourselves. So when we see ourselves judging someone, what are we judging in ourselves? It's really about the world is such the mirror right now of who we are, of how, of the work that is right in front of us. The work is right there. If you're judging someone, the work is right there. Welcome to the Holistic Life Navigation Podcast. I am your host, Luis Mojica. I was sick and depressed until I discovered that I could make music, and then my whole life transformed because I began learning how to listen more deeply, listen to life, to the people around me, and to my body. And that's when I realized that the body speaks through sensations, and learning this new language meant relearning my body and mind. I soon healed myself of many chronic conditions and then began teaching others how to do so as well. Holistic Life Navigation combines nutrition, self-inquiry, and somatic experiencing to help you release stress and trauma just by listening to your own body. This podcast serves as a place to share my experiences as well as the experiences of many others who have healed and are healing through unique, unorthodox, and unusual ways. Your time to learn begins now.
I'm so happy to welcome my friend Fritzi Horstman to the podcast. Thanks for being here, my friend. Thank you, Louise. So good to see you. So good to be in your uh, mm. space right now. Mm. Fritzi is the founder of the Compassion Prison Project, Compassionate Prison Project, and I have been, I have been such a fan of your work from the moment I saw Step Into the Circle, that video that circulated around the world, and you 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 visualized something in that video that my heart had been desiring for so long and didn't know how to do or where to begin and so when i saw it i thought oh someone's begun uh, this is so wonderful um so why don't you just start by introducing yourself through that that work to us and then we'll go from there thank you louise it's um you know as you, you first i just want to tell you the work you're doing is so important and um what you do is metabolize somewhat difficult or hard to understand concepts and suddenly they're they're received and and gotten so i thank you for bringing trauma information in a, in a metabolized way that we can all um absorb so um that work is spectacular and um, I took your course and it was, it was transformative. And, you know, I just wanted you to give that course to the guys in prison that I work with. So in an answer to your uh, question, my work started um, when I read The Body Keeps the Score by Bessel van der Kolk. And I realized that my trauma was, my behavior was a result of the trauma that I'd experienced as a little girl and my hypervigilance and my inability to really connect in relationships and my my um, kind of violent aspects of my personality were being revealed in ways I didn't even understand why they were showing up. Like when someone would cut me off or someone would criticize me, I would just go nuts. So um, a month after that, I walked into a prison. And so I had that awareness about behavior and, and trauma. And all I could see and stories I was hearing was trauma, trauma, trauma. And so I said, I said it out loud to the guys. I said, this isn't a prison. This is a trauma center. And, um, the work I did, um, I met Nadine Burke Harris. She's, she was a former surgeon general of California. And she says prisons are an ICU and an intensive care unit for trauma. So that's what's, that's what we're doing is we're warehousing trauma. We're not warehousing we're, and we're warehousing humans, but we just don't know what to do with it. And we're angry at people for not knowing how to metabolize our trauma and we're, Ooh, we're let's pause there a moment this is just so so fertile i just want everyone to hear that we're warehousing trauma and we don't know what to do with it i mean that's that's a prison in a nutshell exactly and we can also say see that in society as well right we're all we're all warehousing our own trauma we all don't know how to metabolize it we don't know what it is we don't know why we are this way and what happens is we double down on our behavior. We're like, we justify what we've done. What you know, she deserved to be hit or uh, he deserved to be yelled at. But what that is, is the deep shame that we have for doing what we know is not who we are. And that's, yeah. that's the work that I stumbled upon. I guess it's one of my, it's my divine inspiration and my divine mission. I think it, it was it was big because I cried that whole day in prison, just weeping for the men and weeping for myself and weeping for the world. Honestly, it's 
this is the deep pain that we're all harboring. We're all holding this pain because we know what we're doing is wrong. We know that this is not how we treat other people. The Bible has it in there and the, you know, the golden rule and, and we just know instinctively this is wrong, but we're again, we're doubling down on it. We're justifying what we're doing. And so, um, my, when I walked out of that prison that day, I said, it's my obligation. I wrote that in my journal. It's my obligation to do something here. It wasn't, it wasn't like, oh yeah, I should, you know, I should donate to this cause or whatever. It was an imperative. It was, you gotta, you gotta make a right turn and everything else is going to change. And it did. It was fast and furious. It took about a year for me to figure it all out. But then in 2020, um, well, I went into a prison, the same prison that I visited the first time. And I was like, I'm going to teach these guys about compassion, trauma, and kindness and gratitude. And just kind of all the things that I was starting to work on with myself. And together, those 35 magnificent men helped me figure out how to visualize the ACE, the ACEs quiz, the adverse childhood experiences quiz. And so they, um, they, you know, we would take a step in and take a step out. It's like, that doesn't work. But what, what we realize is just keep walking towards each other. And so for every adverse childhood experience they ex they've experienced, they take a step in the circle. So it's step inside the circle. And, you know, there's a, there were a couple of guys who had 10. And then we have this, had 10 aces, 10 out of 10. And then we had a supplemental quiz. So that's those same guys had 10 of those. So it was kind of interesting. They were almost proud of their, of their trauma. You know, the first few times they were tentative, but then, you know, uh, we did it and we have to do it every time a new person comes into the group so that they can understand. So they would walk proudly, you know, did your parents, you know, neglect you? And they just took a proud step. And, uh, but that, that was, was alchemy because it was shame that they took that first step. And then they realized that this was the reason for their behavior. And one of the guys, this one guy I'm thinking about, he, um, he revert, reversed his DNR, his do not resuscitate order um, after doing the circle a few times, walking in proudly. So what this did, it, it empowered him to realize he wasn't a bad person. He wasn't the scum of the earth. That he had been told that had been reinforced by his parents, by the the uh, the school system, and by the criminal justice system, by society. Society had told him he has no value, and so, which is a lie. You know that's the lie we're telling people who are addicts, who are homeless. Um, who Let's are pause there for a minute because there's two parts to that that I find so important. Um, the first part is this awareness that you gain from the book, The Body Keeps the Score, give you a, an awareness based on your own experiences. And then this one that you could, you could observe and witness, which was, oh, behaviors are not identity. Behaviors are not personality. Behaviors have nothing to actually do with you. They impact you, they impact people around you. But they're literally symptoms of unprocessed, completely invisible trauma that's in your body, right? There you go again, eloquently just saying exactly what I've said, but in, in this beautiful way. Thank you for saying that. 
Well, if I, the thing with you, the the special, what drew me to you, because there's there's a lot of people that do like um, you know justice reform and such, but what drew me to you was you have such a humanity, and I can feel that you just see yourself in all these people in the prison, and so you're just seeing them as your family. You're seeing them as a kindred spirit that you relate to, and that relationship that you have with them. I'm assuming brings you into a relationship with parts of yourself. Is that your experience? hundred percent. And there is no difference. You know, this is, this is, it's, it's, it's quantum, but we are so connected to each other. And when we, when we really realize that it gives us so much more power and, and um, resources, because that's what we're doing. We're, we're cutting off vital parts of ourselves Mm -hmm. by imprisoning people by taking us taking that part out you know there's that parts um the internal family system so we have that part the exile and if we don't listen to the exile what we have is a disrupted system and so and so it's to really bring in the exile that's if we can love the exile then we're whole again and that's you know that's what's it's such a symbolic um, mm-hmm. process that we're going through that I'm going through in prison and see that's um, the part that, that when I was saying there's two parts that was the second part because I was no you know when you were talking about by the time most people get into prison not by the time I would say definitely when they're in prison way before then they've already had this this concept this belief that I don't matter right there's already this idea that I'm not a respectable person I'm a monster there's something wrong with me life's not fair you know whatever the internalization is from their relational traumas and such and the prison system is a reenactment of that belief and so when you're saying and again how I see you with these people and just sitting with you virtually which I've done a bunch of times when I when I see you I see you relating to them and I'm always talking about there's that term in that movement decolonization, and I I always see that through the lens of am I in relationship or am I in dominance? And when we're talking about this exiling these parts, it, it's a dominance over an inconvenient part, right? So whether it's an inconvenient part of society, like these prisoners may tend to be, and what they do, or it's an inconvenient part of us that they remind us of unconsciously this pushing them so where we can't see them temporarily soothes us. And I, it just blows my mind because if I imagine the way you relate to them, the way I've related to people I've worked with in the same situation, that's what they're needing to heal trauma is, is a, a repair in the relational field. But the prison is reenacting the rupture of the relational field. So tell me where that goes for you. What do you do when you're in these prisons with these men and women? Well, um, I'm about to go on, on Sunday, I'm driving six hours to, to, to visit two prisons. So I'm, you know, there's that excitement is welling up in me because every time I go, I bring them more things that I've learned. So it's, it's like, it's brand new again, every, every time. Um, but we bring them, first of all, we bring them snacks. We make sure that, you know, we're, our bank account is so low, but we're still like, okay, we got to bring them snacks. And, um, you know, we have to pay for the hotels for our staff. Um, but walking in there saying, no, wait a second, 
this is you. You are important. I know you haven't had an orange since for 20 years. Literally, literally, some of these people haven't had fresh fruit or, you know, a strawberry. I don't know if we can bring strawberries, but just to bring some fresh fruit, bring just little delights. And we ask other returning citizens what they like. He said, one of the guys said, please bring little bits of candy for them. And, you know, I'm not eating sugar, but, you know, to heck with it. Right. Of course. <laughs> of course. So we're armed. We're armed. It's, it's actually, it's just, we're, I don't like the word armed, but we bring in, um, we bring in as much love as we can in, in different forms showing up as love. And we, we have a signs that say you matter. Um, we do this silly camp song called form banana. Um, and it is silly as heck, you know, you form a banana and then you go bananas, go, go bananas. And you form an orange, you squeeze the orange, you, um, you form a mango, you do the tango. So, but this is play, which these men most of them and women, we haven't really worked in, we've only worked in one women's prison, but 95% of the people in prison are men. So these men haven't played probably ever in their lives. A lot of them have never held a crayon. And so this is what, this is what we're dealing with. We're dealing with developmental trauma from probably birth, probably from in vitro, which, you know, is, um, it's really, it's significant and, and, and devastating what they didn't get. They didn't get, as you put in your um, seminars, the serve and return. And the serve and return is probably the most important thing that I think we're doing is I see you. I see your value. You are wonderful. How dare anybody, including yourself, lie to you like this? See, what's so important about that is that what you're bringing them through my language is co-regulation. And when you're in the, the when, first of all, when you're labeled a criminal and it's published about you and there's photos of you on the internet and the, the local newspaper, and you're exiled into this really inhumane setting, there's zero co-regulation. So you're released back onto the street, already traumatized and now re-traumatized from the prison. And then you're released, usually in debt, because you couldn't afford to be in there in the first place. So no one will hire you because now you have a criminal record. And so there's literally people are cut off from the very basic resourcing of, of re relating, co-regulating, having an employer or, or even uh, co-workers that you co-regulate with because they can't get jobs. So this isolation just continues to feed that, that trauma response. Well, and isolation is the key factor to antisocial behavior, which is exactly what these men are being told. They are antisocial, which they are. Um, so what I'm doing is showing them what pro-social behavior is, and which is caring about other people than themselves, which, because that's what we're doing physically. We're going in and say, I care about you. Um, and I will do things. I am doing, I'm bringing treats. I'm bringing, um, I'm bringing, our curriculum to you. I'm bringing you information so you can start repairing what, what you and the world destroyed for you. And we have to remember though, they were victims way before they ever created a victim. And, um, and it's not to excuse their crime because, but this is the whole thing about accountability, which is why vulnerability and accountability are, are this, this, 
um, this web that I think is so important to for us all to hear about because we all need to be accountable. It's it's um, it is the key to our freedom, to our own inner freedom, because the, the reason why we don't want to be accountable is we don't want to face up to what we've done. And, you know, that I'm polluting, that I'm not recycling, that I'm buying more crap. That's just one kind of micro crime that I'm creating. But it's in that accountability that we can change the trajectory of our whole society. Um, or I yelled at him um, just before we we had started our conversation. I was thinking about a person and I was like, well, she deserves it. And, and I'm like, well, why am I thinking about her like that? And I, you know, so you have to catch the mm-hmm. thought mm-hmm. and then, and re re and examine it. Like she's just as wonderful as I am. She doesn't deserve anything but love like I do. But the trauma response is I'm, I'm, I'm right. They're wrong. And and I'll double down on that. And that's what we see in our politics. We see in, in Washington. We see in the way people are um, are trying to be right for something that they know is not right. It's just in my favorite quote by Brene Brown is, "It's better to get it right than to be right." Mm. And, um, well, as you're speaking, I'm really hearing and feeling the accountability takes capacity. Right. Because to actually, if we talk about being accountable, what that means for me is I have to actually have the physiology to feel the chemicals and emotions that arise when I somatically experience what I've done. And I think so many people don't have that capacity for that. So they shove that part away and they keep acting out because the acting out soothes that part. What's your experience with that? That's so correct. And I, I didn't even think of it somatically. I just know that that accountability is that de- it's the deep work. It's it's the looking at yourself, but it's also saying through that work with the with the foundation that I'm okay. I'm still lovable, even though I did this horrible thing. I'm still lovable. And that's 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 the key here. Um Course in Miracles workbook, um, workbook uh, 60. It's from 47, but it's 60 is the, the, the shortened version. It's the review version, but it says, God or the universe doesn't need to forgive you because he knows you're innocent. Forgiveness is for you so you can remember your own innocence. I love and that. I, I, it's just when I heard that, I was like, oh, that's exactly right. That's, mm-hmm. It's for that's us so because they are. They and we are perfect. We are just divine, perfect, it, amazing. If we look at it, you know, I, I drive. Yeah. I'm driving a lot these days, and I'll, you know, I'm a passenger, and I'm looking at everybody driving by, and I'm like, oh, look at that person. Look at him. Look at her. It's like watching, looking at a new flower every and mm. every person. See that the flower, I always talk about these responses and behaviors being things that blossom from us. So I love that you're saying, you know, seeing them as flowers because we are these expressions of nature. And I, I, it's difficult for people to, it's difficult for people to uncouple allowance from love. You know, they tend to see, well, if we love a murderer, that means we love the murder. And this is, again, where we have to uncouple behavior from identity. If someone kills somebody or steals something or shoots someone, that's not who they are. It's something they did. 
we don't have to love the crime it has nothing to do with that but to transform bodies out of committing crimes they have to find a safety in themselves and when another body can love another body unconditionally they find safety there they start feeling something they may have never felt on this planet yet and that's what really transforms people and so i i wonder can you tell us one two three example whatever comes to mind of a situation where you're in front of someone that committed a horrible crime and you saw a shift in them as they started feeling your love or the people that you work with. Tell us about how that works so people listening can understand. Like, what does that look like? Well, it wasn't someone in front of me. It was someone who wrote me a letter. This is the, this is the, big, um, the big example because it goes right back to just what you said. This man murdered his child and his infant child and his girlfriend um, and he stabbed them with a knife. The, the infant and um, he had a traumatic. He had several traumatic brain injuries. His father had bashed his head with a ball peen hammer whenever he did something wrong, and he had been up for five nights. And the cops came, and he said to the cop, "Please tell me that this didn't happen." So I said, "You have to forgive yourself. You have to forgive yourself." And he says, "I can't forgive myself because that would condone what I've done." So even he, just like the general public, has to grok with this, this separation between what happened 30 years ago and who is the man that is standing before me right now? This is a repentant man, a, a remorseful man, a man that creates incredible art um, and is, is selfless. He's helping his other, other men that he lives with. So who are we, who are we judging in this moment? We're judging something that we're mortified by 50, you know, 20, 30 years ago. But in it, how long uh, Jacques Verdine, Verduin, who does um, restorative justice, he says, how many minutes or seconds did that crime take you? And how many years are you serving? So some people say like three minutes and you're serving and how many years, you know, life without parole. So uh, every waking hour of the rest of my life. So, you know, who who are we to judge the man 30 years from when he committed the crime? And who are we to judge ourselves? You know, even 30 seconds after we yelled at our son, I mean, I'm mortified by it, but I make amends, I take accountability. And that's the thing that metabolizes it and allows us to move on. And so we're what we're doing though in our criminal justice system, we're not allowing metabolizing of the crime. We're not allowing the person to say, I'm sorry. Oh my God, what did I do? Mm -hmm. What have I done? I've affected you. I've destroyed your life. I've taken your son away from you. Oh my God. I owe you whatever it is I can do to repair that harm. That starts the new world. But that's right. That's right. what we do in the criminal justice system is we, um, it's like we freeze time. We don't allow for anything to move. So it's a stagnant, it's a stagnant system and everybody's impacted by it. The judge, the jury, the people that commit the crimes, the prosecutors, the cops, everything. It's we're we're in this stagnant, frozen um, time. And Well, this is where the collective trauma piece comes in because how can you even make a discernment if you're in a traumatized state so if you're jury if you're the judge if you're police if you're working at the the prison you can't even um 
you can't even fathom the idea of creating a safety for someone that just did something horrendous if your own body is triggered by their acts, because then you're going to go into a fight or flight place and you're going to want to hurt them too. And so sometimes the sentence is the way you hurt them or some, you know, whatever that, however that expresses. So as you're saying this, I'm, I'm noticing the whole, the whole collective field of the justice system would have to be trauma informed and would have to even be working on their own individual bodies to be able to properly assess how do we heal this person and simultaneously keep the, the the society safe from them if they want to kill again? Like there's a way to hold both, I believe. And I'm curious where that goes for you. That's so correct. And because yeah, when we're, when someone hits us or bangs into us, like we're walking in the mall and someone bangs into us, our immediate response is to, you know, we're in fight or flight. Suddenly we're angry, we're cranky, we're pissed off and we want to, we want to get back at that person. So this is, this is a natural occurrence um, of trauma of being, of being injured or being hurt or being struck. So we can't, we cannot be mad at people for their instincts. This is an instinctual, the criminal justice system is an instinct, but it's also kind of mob mentality because it is not in the cortex. It's all in fight or flight. So as was the crime. Exactly. Exactly. So yeah, it all, it's perpetuating itself. So it's, um, it puts everybody in survival instead of, I call it thrival, which is where we can, where we can say, okay, what, okay, let's, Let's take a breath here and see what what happened here. What happened? Okay, you killed someone. This is this is not okay. This is horrendous. And we need you to take whatever amount of time it takes for you to recover yourself and then to recover the harm that you committed. Whatever that takes, it, it could take two years, it could take 30 years. I believe that that's fair. I believe it, but they definitely need to be removed because they're in a state of, um, they're antisocial. They're See, not. That, that's a great point because when you say they're in a state of dysregulation, th- we want to understand that through the lens of a toddler. If a toddler is screaming and throwing things and biting me, do I just, you know, <laughs> I don't just let the toddler keep biting me. I have to give them a container to help them regulate. So these adults that can, or teenagers, whatever, whoever they are, whatever age, when they're committing these violent crimes from the dissociated place, from the survival response place, the, the, that's a body in a really big way, unconsciously asking for a container. So this idea of container, beautiful start, like step one, we got that down, but it's how we hold the container is what's missing. It, the container, again, just creates more trauma. So when that person's let out again, if they are, there's there's going to be a perpetuation as we see of of you know uh, second offenses and continuing crimes or going down the 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 route of drug addiction and suicide so it's like how we hold the container for them is just like with a 3 year old do we throw them in the room and close the door and say you're in there for 2 hours cuz you yelled at me or do we go into the room close the door hold them and contain them until their body comes down right solitary confinement is a big timeout, right? It's being in a timeout and, um, and it's, so everybody in the prison system that I'm seeing, everyone is in a trauma response. The officers are, I'd say in 80, 90% have PTSD 
it's a tour of duty that never ends. Their life expectancy is 59 years old. Mm. Um, so, and I'm, I'm starting to work with the officers as well. And to our mission at Compassion Prison Project is to create trauma-informed prisons and communities. That's our mm. mission. Um, mm-hmm. So people understand what trauma is, what it does to the brain, body, and spirit. Um, and to see something, see someone um, acting out as a trauma response not defiance, not, you know, they might have a traumatic brain injury and they can't understand the words you're saying. So, but, but when you're traumatized, you see it as defiance and you're in a state of fight or flight because you walk in there in the morning Mm -hmm. in your tour of duty that never ends. And you got to put on your, um, hypervigilance suit, which you probably haven't taken off and you haven't slept enough. You haven't eaten well. You haven't been nurtured by your family because you, Relation, you know, there's a 20% higher divorce rate and separation rate for correctional officers. So you haven't been nurtured in your life. Your life is not wholesome. So you can't bring wholesomeness to, to the people you're working with. So you have no perspective of who they are. You just see them as the enemy. It's a paramilitary operation. And so, so it's really about kindly and gently saying, okay, this is a, this is this a way of doing business let's examine this way and it's not it's not airy fairy it's really mm-hmm. about saying this person is traumatized someone who commits a t- crime has a mental disability disability i would say it's a, or an injury a mental injury because they are not think they're not able to use their prefrontal cortex so their brain is injured and they're doing things that seem right or their body, it's really their body that see, thinks it's right. It's that's not right. who they are. Who that's, they are. That's just, no, go ahead, who they are. Who they are is a kind, gentle person for the most part, unless they're sociopaths. And then I say, let's examine their brain. Let's get a, a scan of their brain or see. She literally just read my mind. <laughs> that's, that's what I was going to say was for the most part, there are very little actual sociopaths out there. Like we think there's all these psychopaths that exist. If someone kills someone, oh, you're a psychopath. No, most of these things, like you're saying, are a trauma response where the person is completely detached from their conscience, from sensation, from any sensibility that says, that's going to hurt them. That's going to hurt me. That's going to hurt the world. That's not even there. It's a pure animal mechanism. And the person that can decide I'm going to shoot or not, has left the building. This is the same thing that happens with police officers. And I think what's important here that you're bringing in is when you have trauma-informed justice, you have assessments. And so when someone commits a crime like this, you assess them and you can learn, oh, is this a trauma response? Or is there some kind of, you know, developmental issue in the brain that has led to sociopathy and you can't even feel ever, you know, 0% of the time. Very rare that the latter is true. It tends to be the former, which means so many people can be completely uh, rehabilitated once they can find a safety in their system. And I I guess uh, when you said it's not airy-fairy, I agree. To me, it's like super practical and biological. And even people love science. It's even scientific. You can test these things in lab reports of how the adrenals are functioning and all these different hormonal components and the serotonin in the brain. You can figure this out biologically. And so if there was uh, nutrition, if there was co-regulation, if these, these 
officers, if they were having their secondary traumas and vicarious traumas from working in the prisons, if those were being sat with every week and they were having a nice somatic experience of releasing that, there'd be more capacity again. But because there's little capacity in these systems of holding people with really dysregulated nervous systems, it's co-dysregulation happening, right? The officers, the judge, the society, the prisoners, every the cafeteria worker, everyone's co-dysregulating, except for, you know, you and your group when you come in. It's like, oh, here's the co-regulators. You know, how does how does the staff respond to you? How do they shift when they see you being tender with the inmates? I'm curious about that. Well, um, they're, they're very against prison lovers. That's what they, prisoner lovers. They're, I wondered. And, and there are, like, we're getting the red carpet for this, for these two prisons we're going to. Like, come in and um, teach our, teach our officers what you know. Come in and, you know, we were going to have a group of 50. And they said, no, can we do 85? I'm like, Okay, that means more snacks. Yes, let's do it. That means more pens, more materials, more um, hello, my name is tags. But yes, and you know, it will be less intimate, but that's 35 more people that will walk away that day knowing that they are this beautiful soul, this beautiful soul with the opportunity to blossom. And it's, you know, it Mm -hmm. makes me cry just thinking about you know, we're going to touch probably 400 people in, in four days. And it's such a gorgeous, it's, um, it's, you know, I wish everyone could feel this way, the way I get to feel. Mm -hmm. See, you're, you're saying something else where my mind was going earlier. Um, how good it feels for us to not judge, right? So even if these men never transformed, if they stayed in prison forever, they stayed traumatized, nothing ever changed in their lives, how how it changes your entire life. Like how, I, I know as a trauma therapist, I drive down the highway and someone cuts me off of their car and then they scream at me and they give me the finger. I'm like, that person's in a fight response. Like nothing's personal. I'm just like, oh, that poor sweetheart. I hope they feel better. It changes your whole life, doesn't it? Yes, and I wanted to comment on judgment Um I think there's there's the opposite of judgment is curiosity. The opposite of judgment is forgiveness. And the opposite and judgment is we can only see the world the way we see ourselves. So when we see ourselves judging someone, what are we judging in ourselves? It's really about the world is such the mirror right now of who we are, of how of the work that is right in front of us. The work is right there. If you're judging someone. It, the work is right there, but you can catch your thoughts. And that's, that's the, that's the beauty. If you start really being awareness and awareness is the, the only way things change, right? So you're aware. So you just wake up and you say, okay, I had that thought. I had that negative thought. Um, I, I was doing some research on antisocial behavior and men with their antisocial behavior is bullying and um, violence with women. It's gossip and judgment. So, you know, I, I, I caught that in more vicious kind of social, uh, pain and, and judgment than men. Mm-hmm. And, um, just, just to make that aware as, as a, if you're a woman listening to this, you know, how are you judging that person's hair or, you know, her weight or whatever it is that you still have an issue with? Because the only way 
you can judge someone is if you haven't worked it out in yourself. That's um, right. That's right. I, I, and just for people listening through the somatic lens of judgment, judgment serves to constrict. So the, the trauma, the, the biggest trick about trauma that I can't say enough is a traumatized body really likes constriction because that hardness feels like a defense and it feels safe because it's always expecting something horrible is about to happen. So these, I like how you say antisocial behavior instead of the antisocial person, because antisocial behavior, the whole point of it is to create a, a somatic constriction that helps you feel safe in your body. And this is where the capacity piece comes in. You can't stop doing antisocial behavior until you actually have capacity to feel that defenselessness dissolve, the expansion take over, the tenderness in your heart. So when you see someone's weird hair, and you know, oh, I have weird hair too. There's this meeting and it softens you. But if soft doesn't feel safe, you are not going to be okay to give up those behaviors. And that's the piece that I find so remarkable and important. Yes. And vulnerability, right? That's right. That's, that's where the power is, but it's, it's, it's so much work, you know, yes. and I don't want to say, you know, it takes a lifetime. It could take three minutes of you just being really truthful, truthful with yourself. But it's it's facing who you are. Which, starting off, I know you're wonderful. I know you're you're gorgeous. I know that. And you're lying to yourself, and you're lying to your family, and you're lying, and it's hurting you, and it's hurting the world. This is the violence that we perpetrate, and it's. And, uh, you know, no shame. I'm not going to shame anyone because I've done, I've been violent to the world for 56 years. And it's time we wake up. It's just time we just stop, stop the charade and stop hurting each other and ourselves. That's the. Well, you can't be violent if you love yourself and you can't be violent if you're somatically aware because it hurts you. So if I'm reflexively violent, let's say I cut somebody off or I yell at them or I judge them. I'm, if I'm embodied, I feel that like in seconds, it's like a fire. And that tells me, Ooh, I'm out of my integrity. But if I don't have a body, I have no, the body is the accountability system via sensation. So if I don't have that body, it's like, what tells me I'm out of integrity? Nothing. I'm just spiraling into a web. <laughs> so you look at the correctional officers and most of the people in prison and their bodies are this tight, um, you know, it's like impenetrable. Machine. That's right. It's uh, it, and it, it shocked me. I was like, I wanted to just like bang on it and say, "Come on, <laughs> yeah, go. let's open this here. Where is this heart? Where did you hide the heart?" Mm. And because um, mm. you can feel that it's all about the heart and mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and the protection of the heart that that firmness you see in their bodies. There's literally that that fascia. Those muscles are tightening over the the vulnerable heart. It's it, it doesn't feel safe. It's true. My posture was always like crunched over because I didn't. Mine too. I didn't feel safe to be erect. Yeah, and, it's true. And, it's true. And, and out there, and this work is helping my posture. My neck's getting into shape. Mm -hmm. Everyone listening, notice that for yourselves for a moment. Just what Fritzy said, as you're actually here with us listening, just take a look at your shoulders. Notice, are they pulled up to your ears? Are they kind of falling back and you have a nice stretch? Are they forward and curling in your chest? That's one of the greatest signs we have from our bodies if we feel safe or not on the subconscious level. 
because mentally we might not even notice if we feel safe or not, but the body will show you based on if it's clenching that area. It's one of my favorite ways to notice for myself and others. And any of you who are clenching, just take a breath and see what it's like to pull them back and notice your capacity for it. Does it feel kind of scary to be, like she was saying, erect and not defended? Does it feel empowering? Does it feel strange? Like notice what that's like for your body. And, you know, one or two more things I want to say, and we have to close. Um, I keep thinking about, you know, humility, and I keep thinking about the amount of people who are wrongfully convicted. And if, if there's any reason to create a compassionate prison, wouldn't it be for them as well? You know, the people that are serving decades who have not done anything, but because of their race or their class or being framed, you know, they're, they're being treated really poorly. Well, what's so interesting, you know, I've, I've always tried to understand why people are in prison for a crime they didn't commit. Why is that? And I go to karma sometimes. I, I know that might sound airy-fairy, but um, there's a reason why they're there. There's a reason that they need to be in this situation. Um, you know, uh, this one man, he's highly lauded, intellectual, amazing. He's in prison. I'm like, wow, why are you there? And so to me, and he's, he, I mean, he says he's innocent. Who, we don't know. But to me, this is a, there's a reason you're there. It could be to teach other people. It could be to learn something that you needed to learn, but your soul has put you there. Um, and so when I see people getting out that are innocent, it's like, wow, look what the, look what's been done. But again, everyone in prison is innocent, right? That's right. That's right. So, so they're there for this, for this learning and understanding. And um, David Hawkins, David R. Hawkins kind of makes it, kind of gives me, he's like, you know, don't help an addict because you're just going to perpetuate what they're doing. Mm -hmm. And I'm not saying that's, I'm not saying that's true with prison, but there's, there's a well, gift. It's the containment you're talking about. That something had to give you a pause. And exactly. you know, someone very dear to my life, her husband was wrongfully convicted and he went to prison for nine, 10 months, I think. And I, I remember looking at it through the lens thinking, why is this for him? Because that's what I would do with myself. if I was convicted. Okay. Why is this for me? And we can play with little things in our lives, like traffic jams or someone canceling on us, you know, like getting sick when we wanted to really go to a concert. You're like, well, why am I being stopped here? Can I be with my, really we're being invited to be with ourselves. And that's what I witnessed with him, this invitation to be with him. That's the thing here. And that's what prison has to offer. If you take the opportunity, which is the time you have time to really take the dive into who you are, who we are, and do the work for us. I believe we have salvation in the people in prison. They are doing the work that we don't allow ourselves to have time for. And so it's, you know, if I can, if my vision happens, they will show us the way because they, they are the wounded healers. Um, and even you saying that they'll show us the way we as a society, if we want to, you know, I don't ever believe in everyone should do that, like whatever they're, whatever someone's willing to do. If we want to be part of this transformation, we have to really believe in transformation, right? We have to understand like something you did isn't something you are. 
And you can completely transform in a lifetime. You know, do I want to be part of your transformation or do I want to be part of pausing you in something you did once? Like, which one do I want to relate to? Yeah. And, but when we pause somebody, we pause ourselves. So that's, that's the thing is people are getting stuck in time with these people in prison, people who work mm-hmm. in prison. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's, it's a real quantum thing. It's, it, it's kind of an energy. It's weird that I'm going that thinking about it this way is so kind of, wow. No, I, <laughs> like, I'm with you. That's how I think about it. it it's, it's quantum, you know, it's like, wow. It's, well, I teach us a lot about like somatic time traveling. And so if I, and I'll use the example of um, like partners, like romantic partners, because more people here can relate to that probably than killing somebody. So if we think of a romantic partner and we think of, um, let's say it's Friday night and we got in an argument. If my mind and body keeps seeing them as that person that snapped to me on Friday night, my actual biology is in defense of them before they come to the room. So Saturday morning, we sleep, we wake up, my beloved partner comes in, but I'm only seeing them through that biological lens of they're going to snap at me again. So I'm frozen with them on Friday night and my body isn't in present space. It can't even be curious to wonder how are they feeling what's going to happen because that expected threat is there. Is that what you're talking about? Uh yeah well we can't we yeah and that's that wasn't what i was talking about but i love that we can't move on just that we can't move on until this is healed and and i would say that's true with my husband um you know we were expecting the old tapes to be played and now we're we're excited about the new songs we're having to sing so mm-hmm. um it we're much more alive and much more but we've been working on this through diet, through chiropractic, through all kinds of, you know, we're just in it to really transform ourselves and each other and, and our son, which to me is probably the most important work I'm doing is the work I'm doing is for my son. It's not, and it's for me too, but what I'm it's seeing. definitely for you, but I, I hear it. he's your motivator perhaps. Well, and to see him transform as we transform the lightness mm. and him feeling safe and more safe with me. Cause you know, mm-hmm years of, of terrorizing him, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. unconsciously terrorizing him, yelling at him, storming into his room, things like that, which mm-hmm. my mother did. So these were old patterns, exactly like the same sound patterns, same uh, energy patterns that I, I carried through. And that's right. And now we're, we're, mo- we're, we're moving them. And that's what prison is. These are old energy patterns that we need to come in and, and clean the cobwebs and say, no, 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 we don't have to annihilate people every day. And that's right. what trauma informed is, is, is both of you are trans are traumatized and both of you can transform. That's, that's right. And I love that. Even that word annihilate is important to me because if I'm the officer, if I'm annihilating you the way you annihilated somebody to come into prison, we're literally mirroring each other nothing is being transformed. Nothing is new. And am I annihilating myself? Right. Because Definitely. just like how I annihilated my son, I was, you know, just the devastation of the acts that I've done. The pain that caused you in your own body. Yeah. And then to justify it, to justify it so that it doesn't, it doesn't shift. Yeah. That's the thing to look at is when you feel justified, just justifying 
is a trauma response. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Again, to keep you from feeling those sensations when there's that, because you've done so much work with your capacity. And when, when you can work on your capacity, you can go to the depth of sensational remorse that you have for a situation. You can feel the grief, a part of you dying even, and you can be with that part. And that's what, for me, it was so magical about accountability is you, you actually transform from being with that part of your own pain. And without the capacity, the trauma response of justification, of denial, of dissociating swoops right in to keep you from feeling that. I, I'm I'm so happy you came here. I, I want to know how can anyone listening donate? How can they reach you? Where can they find your work? Um, CompassionPrisonProject.org is our website. I also have a podcast, um, Compassion in Action, which we I interview the top um, trauma experts in the world. So um, through the lens of being incarcerated, you know, to get their perspective of what's happening there. Um, and please donate if you, if you're so inclined, it helps us, uh, go to more prisons. We just, I've been to death row. I just interviewed someone on death row who's now his book is on Oprah's book club. So that Jarvis J masters. Um, and you know, as a society, it's our job to love the exile, love the part of us that, that we don't want to look at. And when we do that, it changes us and it changes the world. So, thank you so much, Fritzi. It's so, so beautiful. Thank you, Louise. It's just one of the most riveting conversations I've ever had. Well, I hope you enjoyed today's episode. My question for you is, where do you feel the episode? Take a breath and just notice. What's your body doing right now? Sit with it. Let it speak to you. And let whatever comes up, come up. And your only job is to listen. For all the wisdom you need is right inside of you. To learn more about my work, you can visit holisticlifenavigation.com and sign up for my mailing list. You'll receive a weekly newsletter with specific monthly topics, free resources, and upcoming events. You can also follow me on Instagram. If you like my podcast, please leave a review and share. Thank you so much for joining me. I'll see you next time. Did you know your food cravings are actually a doorway to your subconscious? They are. We tend to see cravings as something bad or something we just give into mindlessly. But when you embody your cravings, you're able to notice they're just blossoming from a certain place that has a certain need and needs your attention. Join me on Wednesday, May 29th, as I unpack this in a new webinar called Cravings Destigmatized. In this webinar, I'll help you learn the difference between a nutritional craving and an emotional craving as well as how do we use cravings to get in touch with our unmet needs and any of our unconscious, unprocessed emotional experiences. It begins at 4 p.m. Eastern, and everyone who registers will get a replay. You can find the link in the episode details, and you can also go to www.holisticlifenavigation.com and click on events, and the information is right there. Hope to see you there.